0: Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute.
1: And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate and an MBSR teacher and trainer.
0: Well, hello, John. Good to see you again. Likewise. You staying COVID-free? Well, so far so good. I'll knock on wood, you know. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been—I think I've been uh, enormously lucky. Yeah, likewise.
1: We were also at a family event this weekend that was a potential spreader event, but so far so good. Yeah. As far as I know, I mean, I, I test myself, you know, once or twice a week just to mm-hmm. make
0: sure. But uh,
1: with this new version, who the hell knows? You know, it's yeah, kind of crazy, yeah.
0: So, I mean, I've been vaccinated and boosted yeah, and all well. the rest, so. I'm doing all I can. What else can you do? Well, and you live in the sticks, so it's
1: a little live, easier yeah. to stay, uh, <laughs> stay away from people. But uh, here a little, it's little, like yeah. going on the subway is just an adventure. But most people are are, uh, are well-masked. So,
0: yeah. So, so, today we were thinking of discussing the third of the Brahma Viharas.
1: Right. The divine uh,
0: abodes. The divine abodes. The divine, yes, the these very skillful kinds of emotional states, very uh, healthy emotional states. And the third one is often translated as um, sympathetic joy, the joy in in the the happiness and success of other people. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing from the point of view, I think, of the early suttas, which is kind of where I come into it to begin with, is that it's not really described very much, the, mm-hmm. the, the, what this really means. Um, I think a lot of people have Nowadays, a, a good sense of what it means, but that's not because no, it's not because it says very much about it in the in the in the early texts.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sort of comes in. Actually, another translation which I, I prefer is resonant joy.
0: Ah, okay, um, I hadn't heard that
1: one because <laughs> you're resonating with other people. Sure. I mean, sympathetic and resonant. You know, in that case, are meaning close to the same thing. I just love that word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like the only context sometimes are in some of the sutras where it talks about like in the Dhammapada where it talks about, you know, the joy of, of monastic life or or the joy of the community that, that comes up and and how that's shared. But you're right, it's right. not it's there's not like us. Uh, it's not like the Metta Sutta which has a very clear instruction, but and and it, it does come up in one of the chants, but I'm not even sure that's an original you know, from the original teachings
0: um right i mean i mean there's more about i mean for instance uh, compassion there's quite a bit of compassion in the early texts quite a bit about the fourth brahmavihara that we'll get to eventually which is uh, equanimity right but this third one um i think that people sort of fill it in because there's an obvious gap here between the you know the the the, the second one which is uh, this quality of heart towards people who are suffering And, and that's a wonderful sort of antidote to something like pity that we discussed last in our last, uh, podcast, Mm -hmm. but there's, there needs also to be this antidote against arrogance. I'm sorry, not arrogance, but against, uh, uh, feeling bad for, I mean, feeling bad for ourselves because we're not as good as somebody else or, uh, feeling, what's the word, uh, you know,
1: (laughs) I'm letting you find your way out of this one. No, no, um, but I mean, it's sort of, yeah. you know,
0: this anger towards people who well, we feel are doing better than us. You know, uh, sort of, envy, envy, envy. Yes, yeah. that's the word. I'm So, looking for, envy um, or yeah, jealousy, jealousy. Uh, is although the there is a word,
1: difference yeah. between envy and jealousy. I always forget what it is, but um, yeah, the but but the yeah. The other thing is that it's um, it's a balance. It's like a, a way of balancing compassion because you know if 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 we're I mean, let's say as an example, you know, it's uh, you know, if you're a nurse and and you're you know really with people all day who are suffering and you're and you're trying your best to be compassionate, as as opposed to getting stuck in uh, empathy. But if you're if you're really holding that much suffering, if you're being with that much suffering all day, it's important, like when you come out of the hospital, you know, to balance that out with some joy. And whether you take right. joy in another mm-hmm. another person's uh, good fortune, or you take joy in just being, <laughs> you know, that's really important, um, you know, to balance out the rest of your life. Um, and and so that's where it comes in for me. But I love this practice. It's because it is a fantastic antidote to jealousy. Um, and certainly, and, well, envy is more about things. Jealousy, I think, is more about, you know, somebody, a person. Right. Um, I mean, you may, or you, you could be jealous. You could have envy for a person having something right. in particular. Mm-hmm. But jealousy is more about that person who got the job that you wanted or the, the partner that you wanted or whatever. Or just, you know, you're sort of having jealousy for a person's life success. And it's so easy to fall into doubt and, and, and envy. The jealousy and and get stuck there and beat yourself up and and when you turn that around and actually take delight in that person's joy that person's success it's an amazing transformation in that moment and it may not last that long but you know it can really make a difference
0: yeah and even within the pra- the, the confines of of practice itself there's a lot of room for say, uh, having jealousy for somebody who looks like they're doing better than you. Um, I've heard uh, stories about, you know, you'll be, you know, uh, an older student will look at a younger student that seems to be doing really well with whatever their meditation practice or whatever, or or even without any, you don't necessarily have any evidence for it. You're just sitting quietly in meditation surrounded by other people and just this immediate sense of, of jealousy comes up that everybody must be doing better than me because they're so quiet. And meanwhile, my, you know, my my mind is going crazy. I mean, you don't even know what's going on in their minds, but still you, you know, this jealousy arises because you know somehow, you know, intuit that they're doing really well and you're not. Right. Um, right. and you know, you can sort of spin out with those kinds of thoughts. Yeah. And it's so much better to you know, to try to cultivate this kind of sympathetic joy, this kind of uh, resonant joy, like you said, and, and try to, you know, if if your if your fantasy is that everyone else is doing really well, well, <laughs> be joyful in their and they're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I think a, a, a more. I mean, it's
1: interesting because when, when you, I'd never really put it in this context, but it's certainly appropriate. And, you know, since when we were talking about this topic, we were alluding to the fact that it's important to just consider joy throughout one's practice and throughout one's life. Um, and, you know, I've, I have this talk on Tricycle, which is called uh, Finding Joy in Uncertainty, which like people are wondering, well, how, <laughs> you know, how can I possibly find joy in that? Um but but in terms of like you know, being in a meditation hall, say, <clears throat> with a bunch of other people who are practicing, and you're right, I and mean, we have no idea, like what's going on in somebody else's mind, right? I think Joseph Goldstein once said, if you're dealing with a lot of rambling and ruminative thoughts in your mind, just imagine they're the person's next to you and not yours, you know. <laughs> yes. But you know, you if you look at a the, the statue of the Buddha at the front of the hall, if there happens to be one, and you know just kind of notice that and the kind of peace in that statue's face as emblematic of you know the peace and the joy that the Buddha was experiencing, then you can resonate with that perhaps. you know that that to me is a little more direct mm. um, as opposed to thinking that everybody else is doing better than you, I mean, which is complete fiction anyway yeah so um but this notion of really finding delight in every aspect of practice and finding taking joy in little things and you know when we talk about mindfulness you know one 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 definition of it is really waking up to life you know because otherwise we've been sleeping through life and when you wake up to life you take delight in very little things and you find joy in very little things, whether they're things that are impacting you directly or just taking, you know, joy in the delight of a a young child in the playground, you know, that is like, or a dog, you know, it's like you, you, you just kind of have this energy that arises and that can be very motivating. And, uh, you know, realize, Oh, yeah how much do we sleep through you know and once you realize and you start to wake up and really are present with whatever is in front of you you know even if it's a mess of papers it's like oh yeah i have a busy life <laughs> it's like um, and and yet there's something about that that can you know really be joyful uh, we've probably talked about this before when we were talking about dukkha you know people people who don't understand Buddhism, they hear that it's about suffering.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a downer. Yeah, it which of course
1: like, it's yeah. not. You know, it's just right. it's just a recognition of suffering, right. Right. and and you know how how we can be free from that, <clears throat> and one way we can be free from it is waking up to what's in front of us, or one way we I should say one way be we be part of the equation is waking up to what's in front of us, um, and taking delight in that even if we're taking delight or especially when we're taking delight in somebody else's good fortune.
0: Yeah. Which, which really is, is around us quite a bit uh, in life. It's, it's one of the, one of the, I think central aspects of our life that, you know, at all times there are going to be people around us who at least in our minds look like they're doing better than we are for whatever reason in, in our, in our practice, but also in our job, you know, in our family, anything I mean, I can remember being a kid and, you know, thinking of all these people around us. Oh, they, they must have much better. They seem to have much better families than we do. You know, they're wealthier, they're more powerful, whatever. I mean, the things that a kid will think. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, of course, getting older, you realize that that's all a lot of delusion. But uh, some of it sticks around, you know. Of course. Sure, sure. And it can be a big, it can be a source of a lot of our more problematic and unskillful uh, emotions uh, around anger and hatred, and uh, as we talked about, jealousy and so on—that yeah. uh, really can impact our lives and the lives of those around us uh, negatively, um, because we can act out on them and uh, really create a mess. Frankly, that's for sure. Yeah, and
1: one thing. I mean, as we've been talking, one thing that related to this is for lack of a better word, survivor's guilt,
0: you know, ah,
1: mm-hmm. I, you know, cause I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, really tragic incidences
0: mm-hmm.
1: like just happened, you know, and depending on when you're listening to this, you know, just happened in Buffalo last, last weekend, <clears throat> you know, which was a horrible, horrible thing. And the people that, you know, came out of that store, are okay. So there's, you know, one one would have obviously compassion for the people who who were killed and the families of the people that were killed, people that were injured, you know, but you've come out and you're okay. And, you know, so if you're one of the people from the families of somebody who died, it's very difficult, obviously, you know, maybe to take delight in the people that survived, but it's possible. And, and, you know, that can potentially ease the pain a bit when you realize, well, at least this person survived, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, the, the problem is for the person that survived, you know, they're going to have some level of, potentially some levels of survivor's guilt that they have to get over. And this is, of course, a trauma experience. Now, interestingly, this is all kind of interrelated. Um, you know, when when people are have come out of a trauma, a traumatic event, one of the most important things to for them to recall in those moments is like how if it happened, you know, how people treated them, you know, wh- if they were being um, held, and you know, if they were, in other words, if they were experiencing the compassion of another. Mm-hmm in that moment of trauma, then that's going to be something for them to remember. And actually, it, it it's very helpful in, in the context of treating PTSD, for instance, that you recall the people that were especially kind to you in the moments that you were in that traumatic experience. Or, you know, in the moments where you come out of surgery and, you know, a nurse is there and holding you and making sure you're okay. So that this is where that that compassion and and maybe joy is too strong a word at that moment, but kindness for sure, mm-hmm. you know, which then can bring up feelings of joy as well. And so, you know, we we it's it's possible that in every well, I was we had a discussion the other day about this this uh, not you and I, but in another group I was with. Um, This expression, 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows.
0: Mm, Yes, I think you mentioned that before. Yeah, it's an interesting expression.
1: Yeah, I think it's a Taoist expression. Sounds like it. um, Mm -hmm. And and I was with a group the other day and and somebody was asking about it and she said, well, yeah, I get the joys and the sorrows. It's the 10,000 that I find really interesting, you know, because (laughs) it's like, I mean, it's just a number, obviously, and it's a kind of...
0: It's a and metaphor yet, for a large number, basically. Yeah, but it, it
1: also implies that they're little things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little things, you know, and and it's just like, yeah, whenever there's something, you know, here that's really hard and, sor- you know, that sorrow comes up, there's also some little thing here which brings up joy. Yeah. And, and we can hold them both. And it's really important that we hold them both because otherwise we simply get bogged down in, in that which is challenging. And, and these days, of course, there's a lot of that, you know, whether it's a massacre, a terrorist act in Buffalo, or whether it's the war in Ukraine, or whether it's, you know, um, people suffering as a result of other wars or climate change and climate migration, all of that, you know, there's, there's a
0: lot out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet there's also something else. Yeah, I mean this is one of the things that's I mean it, our our current political situation can be a, a real downer, it can be it can be something that really burns you out and it's it, it, I've felt burnout from this political situation for quite a while now really, um just one one degree or another. Mm. And you know because it seems like there's so little that we we can do that's really really useful. Um of course there are things we can do but you know <laughs> It just feels overwhelming is the thing. And I think a practice like this practice we're talking about today of joy um, can provide some counterbalance there to lives that, you know, seem kind of at, at times, you know, bordering on hopeless. It's like, what are you going to do? Um, and yeah. it helps to, you know, to have something to turn your mind to. If there's a desire to
1: do something. Mm-hmm. Right. You want that. Desire to be held, you know, from a in, ideally from a joyous place, which doesn't mean the desire doesn't arise from a place that isn't particularly joyous. Right. So, um, you know, we need to. Uh, it's if it's possible to, um, uh, you know, recognize. Yes, this is horrible. <laughs> And, you know, and yet I have this, I have a roof over my head. I have, I have friends. I have this. So I'm going to like take that in fully and then bring that to whatever it is that I'm contending with. So, um, you know, th- this, this idea of balance, which of course is where equanimity comes in, mm-hmm. you know, which we'll, we'll talk about in a, a future, uh, podcast. Um, and the, the other aspect, you know, just in terms of, uh, formal practice and the practice of joy it, you know when when people first take on meditation they are offering, they're often expecting something major you know it's like oh yeah it's going to be this you know and you know that might happen there might be an experience that's really mind blowing <laughs> you know in some way you might have all sorts of visions and some, you know, but these are just experiences that are happening. But what it really comes down to, in my experience, and I think in in many people's experience, most people's experiences, is the simple act of being present with what's here and taking delight in what's here. Even if what's here, uh, as... as uh, some I forget which, oh, Rumi, you know, even if what's here is a a crowd of sorrows, mm. you, know, you know, oh yeah, but i'm I'm aware of it. you know, there's a knowing of that, and in the knowing of that is actually a type of joy. Um, and so it's just like, yeah, oh, and what's next? You know I often encourage people to sort of experience each moment as a surprise. and like a little child being surprised, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, every moment it's like a, a wake up call in a sense, and that alone brings a sense of joy and sense of delight, even though you don't know what it what it's going what's gonna be next, you know. And you know, to me, that's how one can find joy in uncertainty because we can never be certain. And if we think we are going to be certain, then we're surely going to suffer, you know, because <laughs> undoubtedly it's not going to come out as we expected it to right but if we just take delight in the uncertainty then that's a very different attitude and so for me this practice of mudita is just like recognizing that it's that that shift in attitude can really open up a whole new uh, way that we relate to the success of others um or to the good fortune of others um and then we bring it to ourselves so one of the mis, one of the ways that people you know kind of misinterpret um, the direct practice of mudita. I mean, the formal practice of mudita, which is you know the repetition of phrases like "may your good fortune continue." Or is These are all later
0: later from this is from the yeah of course Maga, yeah uh, 50, um, century yeah. From, but yeah,
1: thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's not just about other people's good fortune. You know, it's right. about your good fortune as well. So about recognizing. Right your good fortune and of course the other aspect of the resonant nature of it is is you know it's letting go of that boundary between self and other
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there's no limit you know there's not a fixed amount of joy in the world
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it also can be i mean it can be helpful uh, for us just to sort of reflect upon our practice and, and to try to reflect upon those moments that were joyful in our own practice as, as itself a kind of practice, because at the end of the day, I mean, you were saying, you know, some people get to practice sort of hope, you know, expecting there's going to be some huge experience that's going to be sort of mind blowing. And I, and I do think to a lot, a lot of people do come to Buddhist practice with that thought in mind, but um, maybe there are some who are really, really lucky But I would say for 99.999% of us, um, that's not going to keep you. Uh, practice is a long-term, gradual kind of thing and one that you have to be able to, to keep up for, you know, for, for a long time. And if you can't find joy in it, um, and if you don't try to, you know, I think even try to find joy in it, um, you're not going to really want to continue. Uh, because if you can't find joy in the practice, you're not, you're going to, you're going to be ground down by it.
1: Yeah. It's, and it's, I think one reason people don't find joy in the practice is because they're tied to an expectation.
0: Right, 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 right. And they keep thinking, they keep thinking they're not, they're not measuring up to whatever yeah. that expectation yeah. is
1: and, or the uh, person
0: next to me, you know, or whatever the.
1: But it reminds me of that, that famous New Yorker cartoon, right? Of the two monks sitting there and well, there are a couple of New Yorker cartoons, but there are the two <laughs> yes. monks sitting there. One one is, uh, this is it. You know, something like, yeah, this is it. Nothing happens. You know, you just sit here. But then there's another one where two monks get to an intersection in a road and one one sign says, uh, turn right for cheese and crackers, and the other side says, turn left for enlightenment or something like that. So it's like you can go and get entertained and entertain yourself or you know imbibe in the senses or you can go and you know wake up and and you know when that process of waking up of course involves a lot of seeing through the suffering of course and what a delight that we have the ability to do it you know just in other words can we just take joy in the fact that uh, our life has evolved to the point where we recognize that it's possible and we have the, the capability, all of us have the capability of it of, of waking up you know and so just taking joy in that. now that's easy for you and me to say I realize you know because you know of, of the privilege that our life has uh, created and and yet even, And I know, you know, I recognize and and respect, of course, that it can be a lot harder for people who don't have that privilege. And at the same time, you know, you sort of see examples of those who don't have the privilege or who are in jail or whatever. I mean, the most famous example to me is Nelson Mandela, Mm -hmm. you know, who was in solitary confinement for so long in a very small cell and yet he was able to, you know, come to certain realizations and I mean, not not as a Buddhist practitioner necessarily, but he just, the nature of his confinement and his situation allowed him to see things very differently. And I think we all have that capacity. Um, and so it's, yes, some of us have it easier than others for sure, or so it seems. And yet we all have the capacity to wake up, and is it possible to take joy in that? Um, and and recognize that even in the worst of circumstances, some level of 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 joy is possible. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think
0: it's a very powerful practice. Yeah,
1: well, that
0: about covers it. No,
1: let's <laughs> say uh, uh, you know the other thing that's important I think in practice is humor, but
0: that, that yeah, could be a whole yeah.
1: other podcast. You know, it's like yeah, bringing yeah. bringing humor into our practice
0: and uh, yeah. how do we
1: do that and and. Uh,
0: And lightening it up so you're not taking yourself too seriously, which I think is is good practice.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, well, a couple of commercial announcements.
0: Give a plug to to buying us a coffee.
1: Buying us a coffee, yes. We we appreciate your support. Um, Yeah, kind support that we've gotten. And and you can become a member and eventually you'll get some nice benefits from that membership. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also really want to hear from you, you know, so leave your comments on the website. DigingTheDharma dot com,
0: or on uh, uh, the coffee the buying oh, yeah, coffee you can do it, That's right. Has... If you
1: buy us a coffee, you, that's the other privilege of buying us a coffee. You get to make a comment, yeah, and uh, or, or share anything with with us. Um, so yeah, um, but this is this is a great topic, and and maybe we'll come back to it in other ways, or we'll remind people of it down the road, um, because I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, all of these Brahma Viharas, they're yeah. really great. Great to keep in mind. Indeed. So,
1: all right, Doug, until next time. Thanks a lot, John. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnarron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Digging the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.